You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, good morning to you. We're still still waking up, even at, even at 11 o'clock. All right. All right. Going to make me work a little extra hard today to get you guys engaged and excited. That's okay. That's okay. We're, uh, we're finishing our series that we've been in for the last two and a half months called The Mission of God's People today. Uh, we're going to be in 3 John, uh, not a common text that you find yourself in very often. Not John chapter 3, 3 John. If you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles, it's page 1026. Uh, if you're using one, another Bible, um, it's, it's very close to the end of the entire Bible, the entire New Testament there, uh, one of the last few books. Uh, if you've been with us in this series, going through the, uh, thinking about the mission of God's people, uh, I hope that it has served to shed light on the scope uh, of what we are called and invited into as God's people, as Jesus' followers in this time and place. Now, I hope that, that you have been, as I have been, challenged, and we continue to be challenged, uh, not only to embrace that scope, but to really step into it, uh, to use our lives for such a worthy endeavor that it's not only something that God has told us to go do and use our lives for, but this is actually God's own mission that he planned and thought of from eternity past, began enacting in the world, and then invited his people into and to, to be part of. And then beyond that, I hope that this has also set the stage for the next sermon series, which will begin next week. Uh, we're calling it Faithful Presence, Pursuing the Way of Christ in an Increasingly Post-Christian World. Our views and our practices related to things like work and money and sex and politics are always an outworking of the story and the mission that we're part of. Faithful presence, if we're going to be God's faithfully present people in the world, that begins by remembering who God is and what he's done and what he's doing in the world and then what he's calling and inviting us into with the mission that he's, he's given us. So today we'll close out this series first uh, by considering our sentness. If I can, if you'll permit me to coin a new word there, our sentness. Uh, and what, what I mean by that is that God's people are a sent people. It's part of our identity. We are a sent people. Even those of us who live our lives, our entire lives in the very same place, which is an ever diminishing percentage of people in our society and really in the world, even for, if that were the case for your life, we are meant to live a sent life. Sent by God, and then in God's name, for God's glory, for God's genuine good, sending each other into various places and into various roles and responsibilities in life. As it's been the case for each of the, the sermons in this series, uh, this idea, this identity, this aspect of our mission is not just drawn from one text in the Bible. It's really a, an entire biblical theme. And so we see in Scripture from beginning to end that God is the one who sends his people. His people are a sent people. But perhaps a lesser known text, which succinctly illustrates this idea and this biblical theme, comes from this book of 3 John. Uh, 3 John is the third epistle, uh, which is a personal or pastoral letter from the Apostle John. Uh, he is referred to in the opening line of this letter simply as the elder. And it, when John writes this, it's late in the first century. Uh, he's now an old man. It's now been multiple decades since he was walking with Jesus during Jesus' life and ministry. 
Uh, and the Apostle John is also the guy who's written the fourth gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is his gospel. Uh, he's also, he also wrote the book of Revelation, probably not too, um, around the same time that he wrote these letters, these epistles. And the, the Apostle John primarily served and pastored in the city of Ephesus. Uh, in, his, in his later years, after he'd traveled many places, that was the primary place that he served and pastored. He writes this letter to a beloved friend named Gaius. And apart from what we have here, uh, we don't really know much or anything about who Gaius was. We do, however, find out in this letter that Gaius is serving as a leader, perhaps an elder or a pastor, in another local church. So it's possible that John, during his travels as an apostle, had come to Gaius' city, Gaius' town, and then spent time personally mentoring and training Gaius and then left him in a position of leadership after John returned to Ephesus. It's also possible uh, that Gaius was once living in Ephesus himself and perhaps was even a member of the church there in Ephesus where John was serving. Whatever the specifics, though, uh, there's a really clear sense of the continuity and the progression of the gospel. This idea that as God's people, uh, we are raised up and sent out and the gospel advances. And then raised up and sent out and the gospel advances. In 3 John, there's a real illustration of what the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. That the, that the faithful truth of the gospel that we hear from others, that the apostles themselves heard from Jesus, they entrust to others who will be able to teach others also. There's this ongoing progression and continuity of the gospel. And that's even how Gaius ended up where he is, even though we don't know the specifics. And it's now, as we're going to read, how Gaius and his church are involved in sending out other people. So with confidence that God will continue to envision us and equip us to be people who send and are sent, let's now turn our hearts and minds to his word. And before we do that, let me pray for us. Lord God, you have declared that your kingdom is among us. We ask now that you would open our eyes to see it, that you would open our ears to hear it, that you would open our hearts to hold it, and that you would open our hands to serve it. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is 3 John, verses 1 through 8. The elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers and sisters came and testified to your truth, as indeed you, were, you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers and sisters, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. And therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And this is God's word. As that first verse says, the Apostle John is writing to Gaius, whom he loves in truth. Loves in truth. 
And those two words really frame out the rest of this letter. And so we'll spend the rest of our time thinking about those two things. That God's people are sent in truth, and God's people are sent in love. So first, God's people are sent in truth. Look again at at verses 3 and 4. I rejoiced greatly when the brothers and sisters, that word there in the Greek often refers to both men and women who are co-laboring together for the gospel. Uh, When the brothers and sisters came and testified to your what? To your truth. John goes on to say, as indeed you are walking in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. The mission of God and the mission of God's people falls apart without truth. It devolves, and often tragically and rapidly, into self-help, into advice about how to live a good life. It devolves even into humanitarian aid, which can be incredibly beneficial and genuinely serve lots of people, but it's devoid of the power of the Holy Spirit to actually bring transformation to the human heart to actually deal with the deepest problem that each and every one of us faces, which is the problem of our sin, the problem of our rebellion against God himself. And think about this, and maybe you even know of examples of this in your, in your own life. When churches are emerging, when, when missionaries are sent to the front lines, when a new church plant begins to form, the line in those beginning days, the line between what will ultimately grow into a church and what will instead grow into a social club or a community organization, or even a cult, that line can be really thin. Really thin. The difference has everything to do with the truth. And so God's people are sent in truth. They are entrusted with not only a message, but with authority to share that message. And if we were to zoom out and just think about the people involved here in this letter, that's actually been the Apostle John's life now for five or six decades. That has been the the, the primary descriptor of his life for five or six decades. The word apostle means sent one. Like a herald, like an official spokesperson, there's a responsibility, there's an obligation to preserve the integrity and to preserve the truth of that message. And John, like the other apostles, have that responsibility not to for the sake of interest and gathering up interest from people or the sake of acceptance Uh, corrupt that message by either adding to it or taking away from it. As I'm sure you noticed, uh, 3 John is really short. It's really short. It's a great book if you want to like say that you've read an entire book of the Bible and you've never done that before. 3 John's a great place to start. It's maybe the shortest. Uh, And it's it's intentionally short. Uh, John says near the end of the letter that he has much to write, but he would rather be there in person. He would rather talk to Gaius and to the people of his church in person. And so what he writes in this letter is just the brief outline, the brief summary of all that he has to say. But what we know from the rest of Scripture, and we're we're gifted to have so much more in Scripture from the Apostle John himself, is that if we were to flesh out what John means by walking in the truth, we would be able to say things like this, that walking in the truth for John the Apostle would include the Incarnation. That Jesus is God in the flesh. And we know that from John's gospel, John chapter 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glories of the only son from the father, full of what? Grace and truth. Walking in the truth, the truth would include that Jesus is the Messiah. 
that he's the anointed one, the promised one. In John's gospel, he includes these seven famous I am statements to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these Old Testament promises. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am, as we just sang, the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Walking in the truth would include Jesus' atoning death to forgive and redeem sinners. In another one of John's epistles, another one of his letters, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, he writes, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So Jesus, in his death, he is the propitiation. He takes away God's just and holy wrath against sin. He takes it upon himself. He atones for the sins so that he might forgive his people and reconcile them to God. Walking in the truth would include Jesus' bodily resurrection. Like all of the gospel writers, John includes in his gospel the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Unlike the other gospel writers, John specifically includes the account of his fellow apostle, a man named Thomas, who refused to believe that Jesus was actually physically alive again until Thomas put his fingers in the nail holes of Jesus' hands and put his hand into Jesus' side where the spear had pierced. Walking in the truth would include Jesus' uniqueness as both Lord and Savior. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, the apostle writes, He, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And then he writes, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So Jesus is not just the Savior who takes away our sin, who propitiates God's wrath, takes away our sin. He is also, as John points out there, the one that we know and we demonstrate we know by following his commandments. He is the Savior, and he's also the Lord who has the right to tell us how to live, what to do with our lives. And then the last one I'll mention, the truth for John would include that Jesus is both the judge and the justifier, that he is both completely just and completely merciful. In the book of Revelation, which is also authored by the Apostle John, chapter 21, verses 5 through 8, John has this vision of Jesus, and Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment all this mercy and grace. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But, Jesus says, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, As for murderers and the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Jesus is both the judge and the justifier, both the just and the merciful. Now, why is all of this so important? Why is it important that that Christians are sent in truth and walk in truth? Because, as Christopher Wright puts it, mission is the inevitable overflow of wholehearted commitment to the truth. Mission is the inevitable overflow of wholehearted commitment to the truth. So to the degree that you and I believe and are committed to the truth of the gospel, to that same degree, we will step out into our mission and into our identity as God's sent people. We will step into our sentness. Now compare that with a 2019 study from Barna Research. Surveying millennials, Gen Xers, 
boomers and elders, so a really wide age spectrum there. They found that nearly everyone, high 90 percentiles of all four of those groups, agreed that, quote, part of my faith as a Christian is being a witness about Jesus. And also, quote, the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Jesus. High agreement across Christians of all ages on those two things. But in the same study, when asked if it's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share Christian belief and Christian faith, 47% of millennials, 27% of Gen Xers, 19% of boomers, and 20% of elders agreed, yes, that's wrong to do that. We shouldn't try to convert anyone from their beliefs that they currently hold to the Christian faith. Now, our mission as God's people is not limited to conversions. And I hope if you've heard nothing else in this series about the mission of God's people, you've heard how broad that scope certainly is. We are not only concerned about conversions. But what this study reveals is that many of us are not connecting the dots. Many of us are not walking in the truth, at least in this respect, that we aren't able or willing to fully embrace the truth that we claim to believe. That if we really were committed to the incarnation and to the atoning death and to the bodily resurrection and to the uniqueness and even the exclusivity of Jesus as Savior and Lord, and either the judgment of, or salvation of Jesus for every single person based on what they do with him, mission would be the inevitable outcome. It would be the inevitable outcome. There would not be this massive gap between the 90 plus percent of people that affirm that it's so important to have a relationship with Jesus and we are a witness to him and the almost 50% of at least certain age groups that say, it doesn't, but we shouldn't try to convert anyone. We shouldn't try to convince everyone and, and make them believe this too. Now, we should certainly seek to love people as we'll talk about in a moment. But if we really believed these things, we would understand love to include, as an essential element, sharing our beliefs and seeking to convince people in hopes that they too would follow Jesus as we do. No doubt, some of the reason for that disconnect uh, is because there are aspects of God's truth that are offensive and that grate against modern sensibilities. And it's good for us to acknowledge this together this morning some of this truth is, and even as you become a Christian, remains difficult to embrace. And so if you're here this morning, if you're tuning in on a live stream this morning, and you're not a Christian, and you find yourself offended by some of what the Bible and some of what Christianity teaches, I just want to affirm you in this this morning. The fact that you're offended means you really are listening and you really are paying attention. And actually, any of us who have come to truly know and follow Jesus recently in our lives or any time over the last 2,000 years, we have done so not going around the offense of the gospel and around the offense of Scripture, but going right through it, coming face to face with how Scripture meets each of us and in different specific ways, but meets each of us and humbles us and says we do not have what we need on our own and we desperately need only what God can provide. Most fundamentally, though, that's a major reason, I think, for the disconnect. Most fundamentally, this disconnect between truth and mission results when we forget the story that we're part of. God's people send and are sent. Why? Because God himself is the sender and the one who is sent. He's both. 
God the Father sends the Son and sends the Spirit. God the Son is sent into the world and then sends the Spirit and sends his disciples. God the Spirit is sent and then sends the church. The reason that we are God's people at all, the reason that we know truth and have a purpose and a future and a hope at all is because in his mysterious and beautiful three-in-one nature, God sends himself. Christopher Wright goes on to say this, the mission of God's people then is not some external structure built by the church itself, not a program or a strategy devised by an institution. Sending in mission is a participation in the life of God. It is to be caught up within the dynamic of sending and being sent that God the Holy Trinity has done and continues to do for the salvation of the world and the revelation of his truth. It's because God sends himself and because God is sent himself to reveal truth and to save us through it. That is why God's people are likewise sent in truth. And at the very same time, second, God's people are sent in love. Not only in truth, but in love. Look back at verses 5 through 8. The apostle John there commends Gaius and commends his church Uh, for how they have treated a group of missionaries, a group of Christian workers. And he sums up all of their efforts on behalf of those missionaries, those Christian workers, with a single word. Love. Love. They, these traveling Christian workers and missionaries, they've now come to the church in Ephesus where John is, and John writes, they have testified to what? To your love. Christians are people who send and are sent in love. As we heard in our scripture reading this morning, God so loved the world that he sent and gave his only son. It wasn't just that God so truthed the world. He, of course, sent the son in truth, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son. John 3.16 is perhaps the most well-known verse in the whole Bible, at least in our society, probably globally as well. But if we shuffle the numbers around a little bit, If it's not John 3.16, but 3 John 1.6, do we know that verse as well? We are to send one another out, quote, in a manner worthy of God. In a manner worthy of God. In other words, as if we were sending Jesus Christ himself to other places and other people. The love with which God sends Jesus then is not only our salvation. It, of course, is our salvation. The fact that God has sent his son into the world, that is our salvation. That is our hope in this life. But it's also our model. It's also our example for the quality and character of how we are supposed to send one another. If we were sending Jesus, the physical human being, Jesus Christ, to other people and to other places where he was not known, what lengths would we be willing to go to to do that? Maybe it's better asked the the opposite way. What would we not do to send Jesus Christ to people who did not yet know him? We would do everything. We would do as much as we possibly could to send Jesus to people and to those places. So a few things for us to consider. First, do we first and foremost see the need to send each other and to be sent ourselves? That could mean globally, uh, going to places where there's little to no presence of the church, very few Christian workers, and where those Christian workers and missionaries are desperately needed. That could mean in church planting, sending people to be part of 
new church plants and church planting efforts, whether that's here in our own region or other places in our state or nation or other parts of the world. That could also mean living a sent lifestyle in the places God has you right now, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school, in whatever other social circles you are part of. Love compelled the God of the universe. How amazing is this? Love compelled the God of the universe to send Jesus into the world. And it's that same love that will compel us to send one another and to be sent ourselves. Now, let me be honest with you this morning. This is hard for me. This is hard for me. It's hard when, even for good and affirmable reasons, we send some of our most involved and committed people elsewhere. I have to remember this. I have to fight to remember this. For example, when gifted and capable people, some of you yourselves in our church, say no to leadership roles and to volunteer roles so you can spend more time being present in the neighborhood God's put you in or being part of another kind of community effort or organization with this specific heart and intent. And we're all on board with this idea of sending people until it's your best friend, until it's your mentor, uh, until it's maybe even your own child. Deep down, see, we want to keep the people that we really love, we want to keep those people close. Send the acquaintances. Send the strangers, as many of these men and women were, to Gaius and his church. Or even better, send the troublemakers. Send the people who get on your nerves. Send the people who are hardest for you to love. I mean, we'll throw them a party when they leave, and the motivation might be that we're sending them or might be this that they're going away and we don't have to deal with them anymore. But God's kingdom, like it is in so many ways, is the upside-down kingdom. In our kingdoms, in our kingdoms, love clings to and clamps down. But in God's kingdom, love sends and is sent. So that's one thing. Does love, is love actually compelling us to send and be sent at all? And then, if and when it does, are we sending one another in a manner worthy of God? With joy, with encouragement, with commitment to pray, with hospitality, with financial support. I'm really grateful that we don't have a lot of this in our own church family, but in some circles, poverty for missionaries and Christian workers and pastors, poverty is equated to faithfulness and godliness. Like, you got to be a little bit poor and scraping by every day if you're really faithful in ministry and missionary work. And if you're like a salaried or a fully supported missionary or church planter, you're immediately viewed as suspect. It's like we'd be doing people a favor to be withholding and reserved. Part of what will keep us from sending others in a manner worthy of God in this kind of love is knowing, as John puts it there in verse 8, who we ought to support. We're going to definitely be reserved if we're not fully convinced that the people we're sending actually should be sent and should be going. Literally, that phrase there in verse 8 means people we are obliged to support, people to whom we owe this kind of support. If we're not going to be stingy and withholding and reserved, we first need to be convinced that we are sending and raising up to send the right people. Not everyone who who wants to be sent as a Christian worker should be. Not everyone who feels called to be a missionary or called to be a church planter actually is. And sometimes that's because they are more committed to themselves 
or some kind of idea of their own experience or something like that than they actually are to the truth. If we were to keep reading 3 John, the apostle warns Gaius about a man named Diotrephes. And we don't know if he's a leader in the church itself or in some kind of other cult, but he has done great harm to the cause of Christ. Why is that? The apostle John says because he likes to put himself first. He likes to put himself first. In contrast, the kind of people we ought to support are those, verse 7, who go out for the sake of the name, for the glory and the honor and the fame of Jesus Christ. And John goes on to say, they have accepted nothing from the Gentiles, meaning they are clearly not in this for their own fame and for their own financial gain. See, in the first century Mediterranean world into which John is writing here, there were plenty of itinerant communicators and speakers. There were some fantastic orators that went around and traveled and spoke to huge crowds of people. They were compensated often to do that. And that, of course, depended on how well they and their message was received, how much of an audience they could build up and then maintain. And if that's how you're supported... Well, now there's very real financial motive to say only what people actually want to hear. But Christians, as we've seen earlier in this series and are even seeing again today, Christians are those who tell the truth. Christians are those who walk in the truth. And so the kind of people we should send and the kind of people we should seek to become ourselves are those who go out for the sake of the name, for the sake of Jesus' name caring infinitely less about how our message is received day to day and person to person, so long as we really are walking in the truth and walking in love. As we have opportunity to send, and as we, by God's grace, are sent, let's send one another in love. Let's send one another truly in a manner worthy of God. Lavish your affection and your prayers and your financial support and your encouragement and your hospitality upon those whom we ought to support, those to whom we owe this. Now, we could talk a lot more about the implications of 3 John on church planting and how we send out missionaries to other parts of the world. There's actually been books and articles written that flesh out a lot of the implications, so if you're interested, happy to share those with you. But as we close out this series together today, Let's consider how we ourselves can step into this identity as being God's sent people and people who send ourselves. Because the reality is, every faithful, nearly every faithful missionary, nearly every faithful pastor, church planter, who's been sent out somewhere else, started by living a sent life where they already were. If, if you're not willing to live a sent life where you are now, you're not going to be magically called to go live that way somewhere else. There are exceptions, of course. There's the Apostle Paul. There's, there's exceptions. But the general rule is, if we're not willing to live a certain way where we are right now, we're not just going to magically step into that if we go somewhere else to do it. A pastor and an author named Andy Johnson writes that when people in his church would come to him and they would ask for his advice and his counsel on whether they should go on some short-term mission trips or become a missionary or even become a vocational Christian worker or pastor, he didn't start by talking to them about their their personality traits or their Myers-Briggs type. He didn't start by asking them about their entrepreneurial aptitude. He didn't even start about asking them about their giftedness or their theological convictions, or their their approaches and their strategies to how they would do ministry in a certain place. He always starts by saying, 
try to be an especially faithful and especially fruitful member of this local church. Try to be an especially faithful and especially fruitful member of this local church. And that's simple, but that's really profound wisdom. That we are to live out our sending and being sent each and every day in and through the life of a local church. As we do, all of us together, but especially leaders within that church, are always keeping their eyes open for those whom God is raising up. And then, in the true definition, the true kingdom of God definition of love, not clinging to and clamping down on those people, but sending out those faithful and fruitful among us to advance and replicate and multiply the work of the gospel. So if you're compelled by any of this, and I really hope that many of you are, and you're thinking to yourself, well, how do I step into that? How do I begin? Here are some ways, just some practical ways that you can begin to pursue living a sent life without needing to go anywhere else. One is open your home and your life to other people. Open your home and your life to other people. Open your home and life to other Christians. Open your home and life to people who don't know Jesus. Practice hospitality in that way. Second, learn to love real people through relationships and especially people who are different from you and what they believe different from you in age, in race, in background, in socioeconomic status. As we heard Christopher Wright said, mission is the inevitable overflow of wholehearted commitment to the truth, but it's also wholehearted commitment, it's also overflow of wholehearted commitment to love real people. And there's only so much that we can do by reading our Barna studies. I love Barna research and reading Barna studies. There's only so much we can do to learn to love other people from a distance when we analyze them or just get to know who they are or what they think about. There's a different quality of love that requires closeness, proximity, presence with other people, conversations with other people. Open our, your lives and learn to love real people. The overflow of doing that will be mission. Third, really flesh out the implications of the gospel. Really flesh out the implications of the gospel personally in your own life. Do you really believe in Jesus' incarnation? Do you really believe that Jesus alone saves sinners? Do you really believe that as we affirm in the Apostles' Creed each week that Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead? Or are these just empty affirmations for you? Are these just boxes that you check because you feel like you're supposed to and not actual truth that you're committed to? And maybe it's crazy for you to think that that might exist, but those huge percentages of people in that Barna study are coming from somewhere. It's us. I mean, it's coming from us. There are, there are, we are the ones who say on the one hand that there's nothing better in life than to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and that, that God's people are to be witnesses to Jesus, but still say at the same moment out of the other side of their mouth, but we should not try to seek to convert anybody to what we believe. I mean, that disconnect is coming from somewhere. It's coming humbly, I submit to you, when people haven't really fleshed out the implications of the gospel and what they claim to believe. Fourth, look for and find opportunities to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus. In other words, you don't have to wait for an opportunity to be just dropped in your lap. Look with fresh eyes at your neighborhood. Look with fresh eyes at your workplace, at your school, at your social connections. For many of us, we don't have to add anything to our lives to step into this identity of being sent. We just need fresh eyes and intentionality to step into the places God's already sent us, even if we've never thought of it that way. Fifth, pray for people 
with whom you hope to share the good news of Jesus. And then, I know this is crazy, actually follow through and share it with them. You can actually put it on your calendar if you're worried that you're going to forget. You put it on your calendar and do it. I think most of you already know this experientially, but one more book, one more sermon, one more podcast will never be the silver bullet that finally compels you to go do that. You know what will compel you to do that? Truth and love. Wholehearted commitment to the truth and wholehearted commitment to love. So pray for boldness, pray for receptive ears and hearts, and then go. Go in love, go in truth. And then the last one I'll mention today, pray for and provide generous financial support to Christian workers who have gone out for the sake of God's name. And you might already know a number of other Uh, missionaries, ministries, church plants, church planters that are worth supporting. On our website and in our fellowship hall, uh, we would say, based on the leadership of of this church, these are those that we commend to you and say they are worthy of your support. And so whether they are to you this morning strangers or whether they are people that you love deeply and dearly and you've known for, in some cases, their whole life, their whole life, these are people worthy of sending in a manner worthy of God. Love them. Send them in a manner worthy of God. This week, as I've been reflecting not only on this passage, but this entire series, um, I've been overwhelmed with gratitude for the men and women of this church who embody this identity of sending and being sent. For the way that, that you sacrifice your time and your comforts and the way that you pour yourself out, thank you. Thank you for the way that you do that. Let's do that over and over again. Let's do that as people who we love are sent and go somewhere else. Let's do that as people that we don't know yet or people who will come someday. Let's love them too and do it again. I can so quickly be driven to sadness. I can so quickly be driven to fear about the people that will someday find ourselves sending from this church family. I can so quickly shudder at the cost of having to begin again, to to love again, to equip to walk in the truth again. And maybe you've felt that, and maybe you've been there too. And yet, church, let it be forever solidified in our hearts and minds that this is the essence of the kingdom of God. This is the aroma of the kingdom of God. This is the way of Jesus. God's story, the true story of the world, is the one in which life and salvation is only possible because the most beloved son was sent. Because Jesus, who is the embodiment of love and the embodiment of truth, was sent into the world for our salvation, our only consistent faithful response is to be people who send and are sent. May we do so in love. May we do so in truth. Together, As John concluded verse 8 there, may we become fellow workers for the sake of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord God, by the power of your Spirit, we ask now that you would give us strength to live out the message that we have heard today. Help us to live it out in truth. Help us to live it out in love. We confess our desperation for you to send us out. And we're grateful to you that you have sent Jesus into the world to rescue us from our sin. We ask now that as we come to this table, we would remember that just as God 
The Father sent Jesus into the world, so Jesus sent his disciples into the world, and so God the Father and God the Son sent the Spirit to empower us to be those who send and are sent. Strengthen us with your grace now as we come. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.